Welcome to Season 4 of the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Starring El Grand, Tommy Martini. And featuring Adam Tate. Brought to you by Data Coba Promotions. Datacoba Promotions Studio One and featuring Datacoba Promotions Studio Equipment. And now, buckle up for the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Welcome and welcome to the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, Season 4, Episode Number 4. Bright and early today, you will not be hearing the voice. I am the real star of this uh, podcast, Mr. Adam Tate. He is uh, absent. He is on hiatus. He has some things to do. It's the Christmas season. I haven't seen him uh, since Thanksgiving, actually. And uh, he does sends his regards. He will be back. In the meantime, I am going to do this podcast like I did a little while ago. And uh, I'll just go ahead and give it my best shot because I am ready to deliver yet another great episode of this podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, RSS Podcast, CastBox, and many other your favorite DSPs. So much has happened since our last podcast, and uh, I figure I'll put out a, a little bit of a content for you. Maybe you're driving someplace, uh, maybe you're heading out shopping, maybe you're just trying to ignore the world and you have your headphones on and you want to listen to some uh, stupid shit. Well, here I am, man. I'm not going to disappoint because I got a lot of stupid for you. Anyway, Thanksgiving is over. I believe I had said that. And uh, we spent it with the Morenos and the Tates. Uh, I got to see my buddy Adam Tate. Well, actually, that was the last time I got to see him. And uh, we had a great time for Thanksgiving. I want to say thank you to those families for having us over. And I always love watching Adam in his natural family habitat. It's uh, entertaining to me. He looks so uncomfortable. <laughs> I think it's just with me around, though. Anyway, I was actually hoping he'd be here because I had a gift that was sent to us uh, from our great friend Betsy, the uh, rock and roll tourist, my friend. And I've had it since October, and I've had it to open it while we've been recording live to tape this podcast with Adam here. But in between one thing or the other, we just get involved in so much nonsense that I haven't had the chance to do so. I actually had it in my notes to do it this time. But I'm going to go ahead and wait till Adam is here because I'd like to see his reaction to this. Another thing, uh, while uh, we've been gone, a couple of deaths in the uh, pop culture world with the deaths of Christy McVie from Fleetwood Mac. She passed away a couple of weeks ago. A lot of outpouring, a lot of sadness on part of the uh, rock and roll world. She was a great singer. I enjoyed many of her songs as well. Also here, local Wichita, uh, Kirstie Alley passed away. 
another uh, popular culture icon from the acting world, from the TV world. So rest in peace to both of them. Also, Adam and me were able to go out and see Judas Priest. Actually, the night that we recorded the uh, last podcast, I was hoping that we were able to get some of that uh, commentary, some of our our, uh, thoughts on that show uh, together with Adam here. So I'm going to also wait for him to come back and hopefully we'll remember. Now that I think about it, the last time Adam and me went to a show that he took off for a while was uh, the uh, Steel Panther show. Never got to speak about that because he came back so late after that. We just completely forgot. Or by then it was just, it had passed. Now we went to this other fantastic show, which was the Judas Priest show at the Hartman uh, last month. And he's gone again. I don't know. I think Adam and me are going to have to stop going to shows together because the podcast is being affected. One more note I have here before we jump into the podcast. I had a great conversation with Gosilo this week. I asked them uh, to come on in and uh, sit in for Adam, uh, whatever time Adam may be gone, because, you know, it's in death right now. He told me that he would love to. However, he said he was busy producing Mimi shorts, uh, videos that he's been uh, just putting out there in the Mimi world. And also he's uh, he's also cut back on some of his own content, which he stars in, which I no longer produce. However, it's uh, the things that he has put out has been pretty good. He said that uh, he's taken more a, uh, a behind-the-scenes role on his uh, Mimi video. So again, Almighty Godzilla also wanted me to tell all the fans out there, all the legions of listeners, that he says hi. And that you never know, it's Gosilo. He may just pop in and do a few episodes. On that note, how about we jump into the podcast? I like beer because it is good. I drink beer because I should. If there was a song to sing, I sing it and beer you bring. I drink beer when I am sad because the beer, it makes me glad. Good morning again. Today is December the 10th of 2022 and today is National Lager Day. I th- I hope that I said that correctly. Uh, lager, that's a term for a type of beer. So that's why we had that cool introduction of uh, beer is good and stuff and that's the psycho stick. National Lager Day on December the 10th raises the glass to a third most popular beverage after water and tea and that's according and brought to you from the pages of the national day calendar wow most popular after water and tea for the time being i'm gonna have to take the word of the national calendar on that one i'm gonna have to probably research that a little bit further you know you think i know this i've been to the budweiser brewery in one of my favorite uh, adopted towns of St. Louis, uh, anytime anybody would visit me or even if they would just drive on uh, through, I'd say, hey, you guys need to go out to the Budweiser Brewery. And I've seen the process of how they make the beer there time and time again. You think I would have learned this by now, but I do know it was a lager. 
I knew like yeast and hops and some other stuff all goes together to make this type of beer. And I think a lot, a cold, a lot of cold had to do with it or how it was developed uh, prior to refrigeration. They used to dig holes uh, in the ground and fill them with ice and water. Anyway, it comes out as a really nice, smooth beer is what they say. I'm not a drinker. I don't know that much. I am not a connoisseur of beer. I know a lot of people who make beer like as a hobby in their homes. And I know there's a lot of micro brewing and all these other kinds of beers like dark ale. And, and it's just because I've either read about it or I've seen it or I've heard people mention it, but I'm not a big consumer of beer. But when I do occasionally drink a beer in a social kind of a way, I do drink lagers because I just don't, I don't know anything else. I'm not interested in knowing anything else. So I would think that lager is my preferred go-to beer. Is a Blue Moon a lager? I don't know. Uh, I do occasionally drink a Blue Moon. I also like Tres Equis. I think that's a lager. I also have enjoyed a Sapporo beer from Japan. That doesn't even taste like beer to me. It's kind of nice and watery, so it just goes right in. There's a couple of ways here, uh, according to the national calendar, on how to observe National Lager Day. At home, you could explore home brewed lagers. You know what? I kind of always get that feeling that I'm not pronouncing things right. Without my partner here, he usually is the one that catches me. Uh, let me see. Lager, L-A-G-E-R. Boom. Talk to me. Talk to me. Talk to me. Weird computer voice contraption that I use for pronunciation thing. Lager. All right. So I'm in the zones. So that's one way. Make it yourself. Another way is learn the process so you won't be like me, uninformed, and uh, just making shit up as you go. And it says here it helps you out before you go out to any brewery to see the process. No, that sounds like a lot of work. And let's be honest, people go to these breweries to do what? To drink. I don't really think they go out there for the educational opportunity. Educational opportunities are like when they uh, take out these uh, elementary kids, take them on these field trips so they can learn things. I don't think you're going to be seeing anytime soon any field trips going out to these breweries to learn shit. It also says here to bake some homemade beer bread. I think I might taste that like once just to see how it tastes. And just like anything else that has to do with the National Day, you uh, hashtag National Lager Day and take your pictures and post them onto Facebook and whatnot. And if you want, since this is the internet you're posting it to, you could go and buy some brews uh, at the local breweries here. There's a bunch of microbreweries all over the place and kind of fake that you did it. You're the one that were the creator of this beer. Name it yourself. Uh, just make some fake labels, put them on bottles, and hashtag yourself with uh, National Lager Day. Today is also National Human Rights Day. You probably have a right to drink some lager unless you're in uh, one of these uh, countries that don't permit beer drinking or any kind of alcoholic drinking like out there in the Middle East and all those fanatically religious countries probably violating your human rights, violating God knows what else. Just be thankful you're in America. How's that? And go out and enjoy some lagers. You bunch of drunks. It's the time you had a tar today.
Today in rock history, the meat and potatoes of this podcast. Brought to you from the pages of history.com, todayinmusic.com, songfactshistory.com, and classicbands.com. And this is Foreigner's Jukebox Hero, baby. Absolutely. Saw stars in his eyes, man. Just that one guitar. That's what it does. It does blow you away. It blows me away every single time that I listen to any kind of guitar, especially when I'm playing it, like in my intro that you listen to here. (laughs) Just because Adam is in here doesn't mean I'm not going to self-promote. Come on now. If you're one of our our loyal legions of listeners, you know what's going to come. 1899, November the 22nd. 1899, the world's first jukebox, then known as Nickel in a Slot Machine, was installed at San Francisco's Palais Royal Hotel. It had been created by simply adding a coin slot to an Edison phonograph. So for our younger listeners that haven't studied much of this uh, audio and uh, sound and how it got developed, well, Edison was the inventor of the phonograph which is basically what turned into a record what turned into an eight track what turned into a cassette player what turned into a cd player and now what you know as an mp3 player now here's a really cool tidbit about this history piece the machine had no amplification and patrons had to listen to the music using one of four listening tubes in its first six months of service, the machine earned over a thousand dollars, bucks, clams, however you want to call them. That's a lot of money in 1899. Actually, now that I think about it, uh, the way they used to listen to music with these tubes stuck up their ears is almost like they listen to it today with earphones and the rest stuck in your ear. Juke boxes. What a stamp of Americana that is. There was Wurlitzers and there was Rocola. I always remember my Uncle Lewis's uh, joint back in uh, Mayagüez, Puerto Rico, up there in front of El Caserío Jaguez. I used to work with him when I was a kid, and he had this uh, jukebox, and I always loved it because, you you know, you listen to the song that you wanted to listen to. You put it in your nickel or your dime, whatever it may be at the time. I can't even remember. This is like 1977, 78. Uh, had a bunch of salsa songs and all these other songs that... Uh, broken romances that the drunks used to play and then just stand in front of that jukebox and cry. <laughs> it was a whole spectacle. Thank you to that wonderful jukebox. Here in the States, I always like it when they like put in like Freebird from Leonard Skinner. <laughs> Same thing. You have this drunk in front of it with his beer in his hand and he's singing Freebird and you know he's in his zone and he's just loving it. I don't think they do that anymore. I know we're into like the karaoke age and all that. I haven't seen a jukebox per se, maybe in a diner. Just jukebox just brings a lot of memories. Bar and grills and honky tonks when I was down south. It just doesn't seem too practical nowadays to have a jukebox when music is so readily 
available in a certain ways. Uh, just like we said at the beginning of uh, this historical piece, they used to stick those tubes in their ears. Well, folks of nowadays have the earphones stuck in their ears. So mm, these are the kind of things that come full circle. <laughs> Yes. Paul McCartney and Wings. Helter Skelter. That's a great song. Actually, every song that usually goes through uh, my scrutiny is a great song. (laughs) You might be a lover, but you ain't no dancer. Oh, that's my part right there. 1968, November the 22nd, 1968. Great landmark year for rock and roll. And why is it that you ask? It's because the double album simply called The Beatles, but known to fans around the world as the White Album was released. It featured uh, quite a bit more of Beatle faves, such as Obladi, Oblada, Dear Prudence, Helter Skelter, Blackbird, Back in the USSR, and George Harrison's While My Guitar Gently Weeps. The album cost a whopping $8.76. Now, this is a double album, mind you. So you got to put that into context. It also spent eight weeks at number one. Now, like everything else in this podcast, I always like throwing out historical tidbits where I would have hoped that my brother would have been here to go ahead and maybe uh, discuss this a little bit further. But he's not here, so got to go with the flow. And uh, I was going to talk about specifically about this song, Helter Skelter. This song has uh, been credited uh, many, many times of being influential on the uh, hard rock and heavy metal scene. Uh, However... Uh, That would not be totally correct because in 1968, we already had Iron Butterfly with their song In the Gata de Vida. Everybody knows that. Also, Black Sabbath had been formed by then where Tony Ione was doing his thing with the toned down guitars, even though I believe they hadn't released any records yet. Also on the scene by then in 1968 was a very young uh, Led Zeppelin. And you had already uh, Jimmy Page toning down and playing heavy riffs alongside uh, John Bonham's thunderous drums. So you really can't say that uh, Mr. Paul McCartney was influencing hard rock and heavy metal when that scene was already happening uh, here in the States and back in England. And like everything else with music, usually the underground scenes spawn new types of genres within genres. It wasn't the Beatles itself that did it. The Beatles may have helped it move along with a song like Helter Skelter, which is a fantastic song. You can't take that away. But the reality of the matter and the genesis of the song uh, comes from, I believe, the work The Who was doing uh, when they wrote I Could See for Miles. I believe Mr. Paul McCartney just wanted to write a tune that way since The Who had been so successful leaving kind of early British rock mod style of rock and roll and had gone a little bit harder. The mix and the versatility that the Beatles had, they just wanted to throw in, uh, and this is just my uh, speculation, they wanted to throw in a really hard song into this White Album. 
that would stick out and creatively has uh, stood the test of time. It's been covered by a few uh, artists, include Motley Crue, which I think did a fantastic version of it. The Beatles and the White Album, giving some love to Helter Skelter. Not a lot of love is given to uh, Helter Skelter. All right, everybody knows this bass line. It's Loverboy. Turn me loose live, Loverboy, actually. Nice, solid. Nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, hot rock guitar. Almost metallic, like jun 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 jun. Don't give a lot of love to Loverboy on this uh, podcast, but I had to this time because in 1979, Loverboy played their first ever concert, opening for who? None other than Kiss at the Coliseum in Vancouver. Wow. November the 19th, 1979. Let me see. 14 year old me? Yeah, I was listening to Loverboy on the radio. No doubt. I didn't know they had opened for uh, my favorite band, Kiss. Well, I guess by 1979, uh, the world had already digested Kiss. They were very much part of the popular culture world by then. And I can see them with that interesting pairing along with Loverboy. I'm going to make a quick mental note and uh, probably learn the bass line or at least a few parts of this song. It's a really cool song. I really like it a lot. Wow. From Loverboy to this. We all know what this is. It's close to midnight. <laughs> Something little's lurking in the dark. <laughs> Next to the night light, you see a sight that almost stops your heart. You <laughs> want to scream. You're cleaning pee and poop instead of sleeping. Yeah. I'd be scared as well. Cleaning pee and poop. Yeah, toddlers. Beautiful and wonderful. But yeah, they do a lot of doo-doo and some other stuff around the uh, <laughs> around the house. Uh, we don't do a lot of Miguel Jackson on this podcast, but I can't ignore this piece of history. It, it's too prominent. It sticks out like a sore thumb on the uh, mental imprint of anybody who knows about popular culture. Uh, Michael Jackson, he released his 14-minute video for a thriller, and it premiered in Los Angeles on November the 21st of 1983. It was directed by John Landis, and it co-starred former Playboy centerfold Ola Ray. Uh, the video, like the song, contains a spoken word performed by none other than the horror king. Mr. Vincent Price. Ola Ray, yeah, she was the uh, love interest playing against the character that Michael Jackson played as the uh, the guy who turns into a zombie and or a wolf or whatever it may be and uh, does the famous zombie dance that has been uh, recreated time and time again. It was uh, personally, I think it was revived by that movie 30 going on 30, 13 going on 30, something like that. And it was the Jennifer Gardner was the star of that movie. 
And what I remember about that movie in particular is not only the dance sequence, but I remember Jennifer Gardner looking down and seeing that she had hooters. <laughs> I just remember those kind of things for some reason. Anyway, going back to the thriller history piece, it was very interesting that Miguel Jackson used the smut models, you know, smut, quote unquote, a playboy model. You know, in other words, a uh, a model that had exposed herself to be photographed uh, pornographically, you know, showing her uh, her boobies and whatnot. I guess in a kind of way uh, that was a, a little stretch for Michael Jackson, being that he was seen more as a uh, as a wholesome figure. So this was kind of maybe his his uh, opportunity to show that he could take risks like this and become this huge pop star that he later became as a result of this album. Now, the Guinness Book of World Records later named this music video the most successful music video because it sold over 9 million units. Now, not leaving Miss Ula Ray out, she complained about not being able to collect royalties from that video. She ultimately sued in 2009. Two months later, Miguel would die, but the lawsuit was finally settled in 2012. Finally, for those interested in taking a gander on top of her fine uh, work that she did in that thriller video, you could go back to the 1980 June issue of uh, Playboy when she was Playmate of the Month. It's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. We all know what this is. This is Band-Aid. And uh, the song called Do You Know It's Christmas. Oof, I have a lot to say about this, but I'm not going to bore all of you. Number one is that this is one of my favorite Christmas tunes. Even though it has kind of a sad story to it, but still it's very, uh, I thought it was very appropriate uh, at the time. Given the horrible situation that was happening down in uh, Africa, when all these guys, the cream of the British pop world, gathered on June the 25th of 1984 in London to record this historic uh, song. The single, which was written by Bob Geldof and Midge Yuri, featured Paul Young, Bono, Boy George Sting, and uh, George Michael, amongst others. It went on to sell 3 million copies just in the UK, becoming the best-selling record ever and raised over $13.6 million worldwide to help with that famine situation that they had down there in Africa. I believe it was in Ethiopia. Also, a little bit later on, this uh, song was re-recorded, was uh, re-released or remade. I can't remember that that well. I know the guy from... uh, Oh, the guy who married Gwyneth Paltrow. He was on it. I want to say Bonham was on it again. The guy from The Darkness, I know he was on it. Justin Hawkins. Jamara Gwai was probably on there. Anyway, in my uh, humble opinion, the remakes are never good as the originals. I don't know. And this is some Aerosmith live. And no more. Music's always Christmas music to me. I 
Aerosmith back on the news. Steven Tyler still not up to speed to actually perform at their residency in Las Vegas. That's a shame. Our rock and roll heroes are dying out. They're getting older. They're, uh, I'm afraid that uh, live music, as uh, my generation knows it, will be getting uh, extinct very soon. Or at least the next couple of years as these uh, wonderful artists that we love little by little uh, either can't perform or just don't have it anymore to actually go out there and entertain us. But back in uh, 1991, on November the 21st of 1991, Aerosmith made a guest appearance on the Simpsons TV animated comedy series. It's a memorable scene. It shows up every once in a while on YouTube or makes its rounds on social media and it, it's them playing walk this way and it's at moe's bar another memorable one for me is the metallica one i love that one i forget the whole plot of it it involved otto and otto being the character that's the metalhead in the simpsons world many other artists musical artists have made it onto the uh simpsons show amongst them is uh the red hot chili peppers the smashing pumpkins u2 the b-52s the who rem uh, the White Stripes, uh, Sting, Spinal Tap. Barry White was on there too. Wow, this is, list is very long. The Ramones on there too. Uh, Cypress Hill, <laughs> Peter Frampton, another one of our guitar heroes. I hope that uh, Adam makes it back to the podcast <laughs> before we get our invitation to be guest stars on The Simpsons. Yeah! And this is some Kiss, baby! Car Jam! Hmm. Remembering the great Eric Carr with a little tune there because on November the 24th, 1991, Paul Charles Caravello, a.k.a. Eric Carr, drummer with a Kiss Diet at age 41, of complications from cancer in a New York hospital. Carr had replaced Peter Chris back in 1980 and remained a band member until he became ill 11 years later for Kiss. It was a devastating moment. They uh, really loved him. So on behalf of the Tommy and Adam Hart to name podcast, we uh, wish that Eric is resting in peace in rock and roll heaven. Nah, bro, you, you see me, bro? I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. Let's get started. It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Historic hip hop rapizzle moment. Yo. Hey dog, can I holler at you right quick? True is like this meal is gonna be sick. Can I cop a roasting pan and a poultry lifter? Bird so big. Roll up 40 deuce with my homeboy Marcus all the buck wild bird pecking at a dog carcass. I grab my weapon. I've been thinking of how I'm gonna do the hip hop rap hizzle without my buddy here. Uh, but this was a uh, squad car number 37. And the song they titled Ain't No Turkey and the Ghetto Fool. 
I scour the internet for some positive stories to feature on the hip hop rap hizzle. And it, they're so hard to find. But uh, every once in a while, I get lucky and I find some heartwarming piece like uh, this one that I uh, so happened to stumble across. Because back in 1995, November the 21st, 1995, rappers Tupac Shakur and the crew of Snoopy Dog, the Dog Pound, get into the holiday spirit by giving out about 2,000 turkeys in the greater Los Angeles area. Mm. I know Thanksgiving has passed, but we're still in the holiday season for when turkeys would be a main fare on American tables, so I kind of extended this one a little bit. Uh, plus, this is my podcast, so I could do whatever the hell I want to do and talk about whatever I want to talk about. So I was reading a little bit on this subject, and it turns out it has... Uh, kind of dark beginnings because in an article titled that's gangsta al capone birdman and the surprising history of the american turkey drive exploring the nefarious roots of street level holiday charity i said shit because according to this article written by a guy called nick schoenberger of firstwefeast.com Believe it or not, the charitable convention of handing out Thanksgiving turkey began with the mafia. Now, this segment right here, the historic hip-hop rap hizzle moment, it uses some actually some reference material. In this case, the uh, mafia encyclopedia uh, said that Capone on Thanksgiving Day actually gave out 5,000 turkeys. Now, we're talking about Al Capone, one of the most notorious gangsters that our country has seen. He gave out 5,000 turkeys. Now, given that this is Capone, it's probably some kind of scams involved behind this. Anyway, long story short is there is, uh, according again to this encyclopedia, he had a soup kitchen. He had some other charitable organizations within uh, the Chicago area where he used to help out due to the destitute of the Great Depression. And, you know, he would obviously go ahead and claim whatever the expenditures were, probably uh, multiply them and criminally inflate them. Capone was the first, at least recorded in history, the first one to go about with these uh, Thanksgiving food drives. The press would eat that kind of stuff up and uh, he would get all this publicity and he would maintain this mystique about him. On the outside, when on the inside, he was a cold-hearted criminal, according to history. This uh, kind of expands. There's a, If you've seen the movie American Gangster with Denzel Washington, you'll see some of that as well. Uh, I believe it was, uh, I want to say Bumpy Johnson was the uh, the crime boss that used to hang out, hand out turkeys as well in Harlem, New York. This activity of handing out charitable turkeys uh, makes its way down to the hip-hop community. Being that the hip-hop community comes out of these tough neighborhoods, these needy neighborhoods, the uh, ghettos or the hoods, as they say, making it very clear that the rappers themselves are not gangsters, even though they're kind of uh, attached to that moniker because some of them have claimed to be and are no longer, according to them. I just want to make that clear. The first rapper to actually do this is MC Hammer. He organized a massive food drive while on tour, and many others have followed suit to include the ones on this historical piece, which were uh, Tupac Shakur and the Dog Pound. Also on record handing out 
turkeys and other charitable things to the disenfranchised communities of the South are the uh, Cash Money Records crew who had a plethora of artists. It was run by a guy called Birdman Williams and his brother. I believe his brother was killed. I think his brother was called Slim. Uh, also, they had, uh, they had I think it was the Hot Boys were the, shoot, there's a bunch of them. Drake was on that label. Juvenile, Lil Wayne on top of Drake is another uh, famous rapper that came away from that label. They were a bunch, they were really raunchy. <laughs> I remember... Uh, this the most because of a song i think it was juvenile yeah yeah let me let me look look for it real quick so i could play a piece of it uh, the song was called back that ass up <laughs> it was a wonderful little ditty there uh, between a man and a woman let me see here real quick there you go right there that's that so, you may not know who juvenile was but uh but uh <laughs> That's uh, that's juvenile there from the, the the Cash Money Records crew, but yeah, the Cash Money Records crew. This I do remember because I think I saw it on uh, Yo MTV Raps. The Cash Money Records, the name for the quote unquote record company, uh, was inspired by the movie uh, New Jack City, which had Wesley Snipes and Ice T was on there. Oh, what's this guy's name? His last name is Payne. Uh, long story short is it was a gangster movie uh, set in New York. And, oh, uh, Chris Rock was in that movie as well. And they were they, their organization, their gang was called the Cash Money uh, Brothers. Uh, and there was this one scene where uh, the Cash Money Brothers were actually handing out turkeys. I just <laughs> we we've mentioned this movie uh, a couple of times already throughout our podcast. It's I guess it had a big impact on me because I keep remembering it. I know there was this real huge climactic scene that had nothing to do with the turkeys, but where there uh, were Wesley Snipes and his, his his counterpart. Again, I forgot the guy's last name. Uh, name. His name is Painter. Goes, Are you not my brother's keeper? You know, something like that. Returning to the turkey theme, in a certain ways, uh, the at least uh, fictionally and, you know, through Al Capone and some other uh, real-life gangsters, uh, turkeys were handed out to gain some kind of favor with uh, the impoverished community. You know, it is what it is. Uh, turkey seems to be a word also used a lot. You hear a lot of uh, jive turkey, things like that. I had a bunch of definitions from uh, from the Urban Dictionary and... Uh, also, the hip hop rap pizzle dictionary. So, I can read a few of them. If not, I, I really don't have anybody to uh, bounce this off of. But I have here, uh, let me see. Um, the first one here says, oh, okay, so Jive Turkey is the first one that pops up. It says, here it says, a slang for an individual who is prone to exaggerating the truth greatly. Or an outright liar, used predominantly in the 1970s. So, have you seen a lot of these black exploitation movies, or probably seen some Good Times and uh, Sanford and Son, and also uh, the Jeffersons? You would hear Jive Tucky, you're a Jive Tucky, and that kind of fashions it would be delivered. Here, the hip hop rap Hizzle has a turkey neck, and it says here it is a male body part that often resembles the neck of a turkey. And when it is not erect <laughs> and has an application here, it <laughs> says, yo, man, your tucker neck is hanging out. <laughs> Why would your in, in what situation would you find yourself that your turkey neck is hanging out? I, 
I don't know. You went to the bathroom. You didn't put it back in. I have no idea. But that's what the hip hop rap hizzle dictionary says here. Let's just go back to the uh, urban dictionary here. There's a definition for uh, Turkey Day. What inane, stupid people call Thanksgiving in a failed attempt to sound cute. And it says here, there's an application. I love these applications. Idiot number one says, I can't wait to get me some giblets on Turkey Day. And then person number two says, shut the fuck up, you dumbass. (laughs) For some reason, I knew I wouldn't be able to get uh, through this. Uh, There's a bunch of them. You go ahead, as we always say, uh, just look up the Urban Dictionary. You can look up the uh, Mafia Encyclopedia now. You can look up the uh, Hip Hop Rap Hizzle Dictionary. Uh, there's a one. There's. Let me see. Let me just see, uh, see if one that's more, a little bit more uh, not so funny. Uh, oh, here's one right here. Turkey bacon is defined as a white girl. And then there's one also that's a turkey vulture, which is a cougar past her prime, still on the hunt. So there. There's all kinds of application for turkey. Uh, and even though Thanksgiving has passed, like we're in the holidays now. We're full-blown holidays. You could use some of this information as a conversation piece <laughs> at the dinner table on the 24th or the 25th of December. Who knows? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm going to give you this last one that I just found off of the uh, Hip Hop Rap Hizzle Dictionaries. Uh, there's another one for turkey bacon. It says here, <laughs> surgically enhanced male or female that became sister thick to make their body more appealing and pick up more unsuspecting drunk horny fools during the holiday. So there, there you go. There you go. (laughs) Try that one also at the dinner table (laughs) with teenagers around. That'll make you the hero of that Christmas gathering for sure. Yo, this is Metallica. So what? So what? It's a powerful song. Metallica doing a cover of uh, So What from the British punk band Anti-Nowhere League. Yeah, this song had been uh, released as the B-side of Sad But True, and then later it was on uh, Garage Inc. But on uh, November the 23rd of 1993, Metallica released their first box set, Live Shit, Binge and Purge. I've spoken about this record a bunch of times here with Adam. I love it. It is Metallica at its prime. It is... The Metallica that many of us as fans of Metallica, you know, maybe even the fans that became aware of Metallica after their eponymous album, uh, which is also known as uh, the Black Album. But getting back to Metallica's live shit, binge and purge, I highly recommend you listen to this record. If anything, I have the actual CD version of it. I don't have the box set with all the... uh, add-ons to uh, this box set and I wasn't interested in that however musically it covered Metallica from the beginning to Metallica at that point so it's a greatest hits but done live and so you could get a lot of the interaction between the mighty Metallica and their fans this box set was certified 15 times platinum by the RIAA the Record Industry Association of America 
as a long form video format. So before Metallica's SNM, their first SNM that was released also on video, there was this uh, live shit binge and purge. Check it out if you want to see the Metallica. That is not the uh, the user friendly Metallica of today. Which again, they, musicians need to evolve. You could check this out, and you can really see Metallica at a point that they were really revving up to just blast off into mega stardom. And if you don't want to see the video, just listen to it, download it. However, you receive your content, the entire uh, set of music here—it's it's just absolutely fantastic. You'll be able to hear some raw Metallica. <laughs> was the night before Christmas when all through the hall not a creature was stirring except Santa's jingle ball, jingle ball, jingle ball, the milk on a shelf. When what took my wondering eyes did appear Mrs. Claus and her big boots, and you could smell Santa's fear. Big boots, big boots, big boots. The milk on a shelf. More rapid than eagles, Mrs. Claus, she came, and Santa came, and Mrs. Claus came again. <laughs> but I heard him exclaim, he said to himself, Happy Triple Xmas to all. Glad we got the milk on a shelf. The milk on a shelf. Nice. Milk on the shelf. Soon to be uh, heard on all the easy listening stations. Uh, playing Christmas music out there. Probably even in the malls. Who knows? <laughs> I'll speak to Adam and see if we would like to make that available on the uh, Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast uh, website. All right. Yeah. Uh, where am I here? 2006, uh, December the 9th, 2006. Uh, Mariah Carey threatened legal action against porn star Mary Carey in an attempt to stop her trademarking. Her similar sounding stage name, the singer believed fans could uh, get the two performers confused if the adult film actress Mary Carey's trademark application was successful. (laughs) What's the deal here? It's Christmas time. You have Mariah Carey, who was probably known most during the Christmas time for uh, her song being played as many times as it gets played during the season. I guess she wasn't feeling Christmassy towards porn star Mary Carey. <laughs> she wasn't in the Christmas spirit, damn it. That's all it was. By then, her song had been around for a while, so I'm sure all, all she wanted for Christmas not to, uh, was not to share her namesake with Mary Carey. Come on there, Mariah. This is the Christmas spirit. Time to share some cheer. Get with the program. Settle down, class. It's this week's rockin' higher education lesson on Led Zeppelin 101 with Professor Adam Lee Tate.
It's Led Zeppelin 101, baby. And on the Timing Adam Hard to Name podcast, it is time that I Zeppelin you since Professor Adam Lee Tate is not here to Zeppelin me. And the rain song. This song was written by Mr. Jimmy Page. He had just installed a brand new uh, console in his house and uh, had written this ballad, which was included on Houses of the Holy. Oh, wow. What can I tell you more about this song? Uh, it's trippy. It makes you feel good. Kind of relaxes you. You can kick back with this beautiful young lady. And uh, hopefully express your love for her as you listen to some Zeppelin. In Puerto Rico, it went like from Radio Heavy. It would have went like, Yes, that's la música de Led Zeppelin. El Rain Song. Por Radio Heavy. <laughs> How sexy does that sound? Anyway, back in uh, 2012, December the 3rd, 2012, Led Zeppelin received... Led Zeppelin received, listen to me, a prestigious award from Barack Obama for their significant contribution to American culture and the arts. Okay, cool. Brits getting some awards in America. Dressed in black suits, uh, the remaining members or the living members of Zeppelin, uh, Robert Plant, John Paul Jones, and of course, Jimmy Page, were among a group of artists who received uh, the Kennedy Center Honors at the uh, White House. Anyway... Bottom line is they received this award and it gives me an excuse to play Professor Adam Lee Tate today. And uh, I hope I made it some justice. chill song to the other this is uh, Ozzy Osbourne's D mm. instrumental played by uh, Mr. Randy Rhodes uh, on the record blizzard of Oz on December the 6th of 2019, Ozzy Osbourne offered $25,000 as a reward to return stolen instruments previously owned by the late great guitarist Randy Rhodes after uh, the Musania School of Music in North Hollywood was robbed, unfortunately, on Thanksgiving night. The stolen instruments included Rhodes' first electrical guitar, a 1963 Harmony Rocket, as well as a very rare Marshall prototype made specifically for Rhodes. That's kind of really messed up. You know, you go in there and you steal such great memorabilia from uh, such a beloved guitarist such as Randy Rhodes, which, by the way, would have been 68 on December the 5th. He had been born on uh, 1956, also wishing him a restful peace. This weekend, 
This is Wendy Williams, It's My Life! It's not coming out clear. Wow. Uh, on November the 7th of 2022, uh, on the... Uh, Online magazine AmericanSongwriter.com, Mr. Paul Stanley was given an interview and uh, said that he had written song or had co-written some songs for all the artists to include this one right here, Wendy Williams, "It's My Life." I don't know why. It, I don't know why it's sounding so messed up. Hold up. Uh, anyway. That's what happens when you're recording live to tape. So let me just shut this down. I really hate when this happens. I'm messing around with this new download of Audacity, so I have to try to figure this out uh, somewhere or the other. Anyway, let's uh, let's keep on going here. Between Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, the Kiss Giants, they've had their fair share of success with the songs they've written together along with the rest of the members of the band, such as Ace Frail, Peter Chris, Eric Carr, uh, Bruce Kulik, Vinnie Vincent, you name it, they've written with the best. They've also had a bunch of songs on uh, their albums that have been co-written by the likes of Desmond Child and some other songwriters. But what you don't hear a lot about is a guy like Paul Stanley lending his songwriting skills to other artists. It's a rarity, really. You know you know that Paul Stanley has branched out and he's been uh, on off-Broadway plays that were successful on Broadway, such as The Phantom of the Opera and such. But you don't hear him talk much about lending his pen to other artists. That first song that I played at the beginning of this segment, It's My Life by Wendy O. Williams. It was written by Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons, actually, back in 1984. If you're a child of the 80s or that era of hard rock or uh, maybe popular rock. You're going to remember Wendy O. Williams as this really crazy performer that did a lot of antics on uh, stage. You could go onto YouTube and check this particular video out. You could see a lot of that, but you just don't think immediately Kiss or you don't immediately think Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons writing this song. Yeah, and Paul also penned a uh, song alongside uh, Desmond Child, who I mentioned a little while ago, and Diane Warren for Ronnie Spector. And for those of you who don't know who Ronnie Spector is, she's one of the Ronettes. She is, I think, eh, I want to say she was like one of the first naughty girls of rock and roll. Uh, also, he wrote Hide Your Heart for Bonnie Tyler, written alongside Desmond Child again, and Holly Knight. I kind of see a pattern here where he's writing these songs for these females. Actually, Hide Your Heart is also off of a Kiss record. Uh, Kiss also did Hide Your Heart. And uh, finally, I have here on this list, he wrote for a group called Blood Type R, and the song was called Bad Candy, and that's back in 2006. That was written solely by Paul Stanley. Now, you, these are not chart toppers. They're not uh, anything that will 
become immediately recognizable but it's pretty i think it's two things i think it's pretty brave to get out of your comfort zone and write songs for other artists and take that chance of being labeled by your hardcore fans as some kind of uh sellout or when you switch genres or uh team up with certain kind of writers let's say like diane warren who has written songs for aerosmith actually also, it shows that you have some kind of versatility in you that has to be expressed outside of that group that you're with, that you're known for, what you're famous for, what's making your money, which is KISS. I think it's ballsy at, at a minimum. We all know that KISS as a band, as what we know right now, is uh, going through uh, their final quote-unquote tour of the world. Paul Stanley, in the interim, had explored some other types of music, kind of 60 soul. So now you kind of, uh, as a fan, how well-rounded Mr. Paul Stanley is. And it also could show that he might not be ready to give it up once Kiss eventually does uh, stop touring. So. Uh, on this podcast, I'm not going to do the lyrics that'll blow your mind for the simple reason is that I need somebody to blow their minds. Uh, it's a lot more difficult to blow my mind on my own. Whenever uh, Adam makes it back, we'll resume that segment. In the meantime... Because it's rock and roll birthdays born on this day. It is Mr. Joe Walsh. Born in Wichita, Kansas. And this is a song, of course, The Life of Illusion. Guitarist, singer, songwriter who led the James Gang had joined the Eagles back in 1975 and has scored a lot of hits. Great artist, Mr. Joe Walsh. He's 75 years old today. Mm. That's the cult, baby. Love a removal machine. coming out a little bit more clear. Yeah. Because born on November the 19th of 1960, 62 years today is a cult drummer, Guns N' Roses drummer, Velvet Revolver drummer, and some group that Adam laid on me a couple of uh, episodes ago. Mr. Matt Sorum, American drummer and percussionist. Yeah. Oh, it says he also played in uh, Slash's Snake Pit. Oh, okay. I made a mistake here. Born December the 3rd of 1948. It's the Prince of Darkness himself, Mr. John Michael Ozzy Osbourne. How did I miss that? Oh, okay. I had it to mention when I mentioned the uh, the Randy Rhodes theft. Oh, wow! They have uh, they probably celebrated birthdays together as well. Oh, the ultimate sin. Ozzy Osbourne. That's actually the title track to the album of the same name. Oh, what can we say about Ozzy that we haven't said already on this podcast? Wow. 
Woo. Just a great performer. A lot of people say that Ozzy doesn't have any talent, that it all comes from Sharon and her uh, management slash marketing style of the Ozmand. But you don't stay active this many years in rock and roll from 1967 to 2022. Yeah, there has to be a bunch of talent behind this guy. Uh, I think Ozzy's music is beyond comparison. His voice is unique, and he's been pigeonholed through legend to this uh, devil-slash-satanic-worship bullshit. Ozzy Osbourne's an original. Nobody's going to take that away from him. Also, uh, born during this episode's time frame is Phil Collin, guitarist of Def Leppard, born on December the 8th, 1957, along with his buddy, Rick Savage. He was born December the 3rd, 1960. He's 62. Mike Diamond of the Beasties. He was born November the 20th of 1965. Nate Mandel, born December the 3rd of 1968. He's 50. Nate Mandel is 54 years old. If you don't know who Nate Mandel is, he's the bass player, the guy who gives the groove in the back to the Mighty Foo Fighters. Yeah, oh, the Jigga Man. He also uh, turned 53 not too long ago on December the 4th. He was born in 1969. Oh, 69. Sean Carter, JC. I wonder what that birthday party must have been like. Closing out our birthday segment is Onika Tanya Marash, a.k.a. Nicki Minaj. She's from Trinidad, Tobago. Oh, that's pretty cool. Has sold 100 million records worldwide. And how fitting, because she has a lot of what's coming next. Oh, booty, booty. I've got a booty. You've got a booty. But man, does she have a booty? Booty, 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 booty. Oh, booty, influence me. Influence the unsuspecting world with that booty. It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, but Influencer Showcase. Wow, I hear the voice of my friend and I flash back to a while back when he took his first hiatus. I'm going to go ahead and do this, but Influencer Showcase as a sort of a information only let me activate the new Lord of the G-Strings app version one. Point six nine. <laughs> Here is the handle, and the handle is going to be R I V A N I S S E P R. Oh, these are about. Uh, These are about eight pictures in a row. A very beautiful young lady. I will probably, what I'm going to do, if I remember, I'm going to put the actual web link on the description of this podcast so you will not be fiddle-faddling around these uh, bazillion pictures she has on here. Some of her information reads as Rosa Ivanice, 
and she's a fashion model. She's a mom, an accountant, financial consultant, model. Uh, Uh-oh. I wonder who the hell's here this early in the morning with Betty barking. I hope it's Adam. I'll be right back. All right, I'm back. It was not Adam. Okay, I was hoping it was him. Uh, But returning to the business at hand, while she has 2,000-something posts here, this particular set of photographs that I was speaking about are not that far down on her page. The very first one hits you immediately when she's trying to butt influence you. You'll be able to make it out. Her caption on this set of photographs is, My favorite place. Now, let's read some of these comments to see who's eating this up in hopes that I I wouldn't even know what their hopes are when they write these things. But okay, a lot of them are in Spanish. There's a few with uh, smiley faces and hearts in their eyes. There is one whose handle is Play Rocket Feller PR. He has a bunch of fires. Uh, There's the one immediately after is called Chuck Brightly. Puts a bunch of fires. None she replies to, by the way. Uh, oh, this one's lovely. There's uh, there's one. This You're going to love this one. It says, you have the hair of salt, skin of the sun, and soul of the sea. Mermaids exist, and with them there is magic. <laughs> Oh, geez. There's some gems on here. At least nobody wrote anything rash. But you really can't blame them. They came under the spell of that butt. They were inspired and couldn't hold themselves back from firing off that poetic expression. And if you ask me, that one actually deserved a reply from Miss Rosa. Come on, Miss Rosa. Help them out, please. It's difficult being more mature than your father. Well, I got through that. Now let's see if I can make it through the rest of the podcast. Because it is time for hashtag. Oh, what the frijoles. Actually, I was the first one that used to do the what the frijoles before I handed it over to my great friend and partner who I miss a shit ton on this podcast, Mr. Adam Tate. And since we are in full-blown Christmas season, how about this story here from NPR? It's titled, All We Want for Christmas is Spam Figgy Pudding. Yep, you heard right. As the uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas season returns to something uh, kind of normal like every year, perhaps it's time for some new traditions. The mad scientist at Luncheon Meat Packager Hormel have a great idea. It's called Spam Figgy Pudding. Yes, you heard me right. Spam Figgy Pudding. Now, we all know what Spam is. We've uh, had it. I, I hope we've all had it. I know I've had it. I like it fried. It's that wonderful combobble of all kinds of, I guess, leftover pork. And it's all mixed up together and made this big block and 
stuck into this can and it's really salty and actually pretty good. Now this newer version of a Spam figgy pudding includes fig and orange flavors, cinnamon, cloves, nutmeg, ginger, and allspice. It also says here that it has the same characteristics as regular Spam. In other words, it lasts a long time on the shelf just in case there's an apocalypse. <laughs> now, if you're like me and didn't know what the hell figgy pudding was, it's a holiday tradition that comes from Britain. Figgy pudding is a dense steamed cake, not an American-style pudding, in other words. Kind of like I would imagine something like a lava cake. It's full of raisins, currants, and brandy. It also says here it doesn't include figs now. It used to, now it doesn't. So why would you call it figgy pudding? I don't know. Does this uh, concoction from Hormel sound good to you? Well, you better uh, move quickly because this product just launched here, I believe, last month. And it is just already sold out on Spam.com and on Amazon. As of the date of this publishing, there was one review on Amazon which said, definitely different, but real tasty. Mm. And there you have it. The Spam version of Figgy Pudding was our hashtag. What the frijoles for this episode? I think the real what the frijoles here is that there's a spam.com. Spam.com. Who knew? It's the Tommy and Adam hard to name podcast. Sound of the week. Yes. This is the segment that I feel the most pressure because it's so hard to top. Adam on it. But thanks to the rock gods, we have a new release from Metallica this week. It is Lux Eterna. Mm. Yeah. There's Lars going at it. I love it. Fast, furious, very thrashy. Throwback to Metallica the past. I like it. I like it. I can see this one uh, being used in a pit for people who like that stuff. Like punching each other and pushing and shoving. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like this one a lot. Lars in the uh, news, in the rock and roll news in the past couple of weeks where, you know, his drumming skills have been put into question. It started around the time he did the Taylor Hawkins tribute show where he had filled in a couple of songs. I saw a couple of live performances. Uh, Let me see. I got one around here. Let me see real quick. You could put it on the sound of the week. That's Lars right there with uh, the Foo Fighters, uh, Sebastian Bach on vocals. Geezer Butler on the bass. I see here, no problems with that. I mean, this is fan recorded, obviously. Anyway, seems like uh, Lars has a lot of haters. He was on Howard Stern the other day. He was asked if 
if he could play any Rush songs. And Lars was very candid. He said, probably not. And now, you know, I'm paraphrasing. And I get it. I know fans hate. And they hate quite a bit on Lars. He's a founding member in one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. Shit. Metallica. Yeah. Love him or hate him. We've all heard and rocked out to a lot of Metallica songs. With Lars behind the kit. Enter Sandman. Who do you think is doing that monster drum intro at the beginning? It's Lars. Oh, that's my rant. Before I go to the next, I want to wish Metallica luck on their new album. Not that they're going to need it. I'm sure they're going to sell like crazy. This new single, Lux Eterna, which actually translates to Eternal Light, will be available on their upcoming album. Speaking of upcoming albums, Adam already brought to our attention the first single off of their album, On the Prowl. Due to be released sometime uh, next year, I believe, in early February or March. Appetite for destruction, blowing us all away. Poison looking so damn good, I wondered if I was gay. <laughs> White snake Ooh. making us bang our heads in the steel of the freaking. One of our favorite bands, yes, it's Steel Panther. With their new uh, offering right. titled 1987. I never leave you. 1987. Tommy Martinez was 20s. I was 22 years old. I wasn't even married. Wow. I like the song, it's pretty good. I mean, obviously, if I'm picking them, it's pretty good. I mean, I don't know what Adam would have picked, but this is what I picked. Cool thing about Adam is he kind of lays it out there, quizzes me, lets me listen. That didn't happen this episode. I'm going to keep with this tradition. After two uh, new releases, I am going to share what our uh, special events recording team has prepared for us this week. If uh, you've been listening and watching the news. WNBA player Brittany Griner was released from her prison sentence and captivity in Russia and is now currently back in the United States. Our special event recording team was at the White House news conference for this. How about we uh, take a listen? Good morning, folks, and it is a good morning. (laughs) Moments ago, standing together with her wife, Sherelle, in the Oval Office, I spoke with Brittany Griner. She's safe. She's on a plane. She's on her way home. After months of being unjustly detained in Russia, held under intolerable circumstances, Brittany will soon be back in the arms of her loved ones, and and she should have been there all along. This is a day we've worked toward for a long time. We never stopped pushing for her release. It took painstaking and intense negotiations, and I want to thank all the hardworking public servants across my administration worked tirelessly to secure her release. <laughs> uh, no self-promoting whatsoever on that announcement there. Uh... <laughs> oh, you see this guy? See this guy? Number one bullshit guy. Uh, sure, Brittany Griner's back on U.S. soil. Yay, America! And that's it for <laughs> this episode's Sound of the Week. It's the Tommy and Adam hard-to-name podcast. Sound of the week. 
I'm no fartist like my absent partner, but I've been taking notes to use those skills on occasions like this. Uh, we're going to forego the motherfuckeria of the week and jump right into this. Good times, bad times. On the Tommy and Adam Martin Podcast. I hear some activity in my kitchen. So that means it's time to get the hell out of here. Bad times. Elton John quits Twitter, citing unchecked misinformation. Oh, here we go. Elton John will no longer use Twitter, citing the platform's recent change in policy, which will allow misinformation to flourish unchecked, quote unquote. I could probably go on a good rant on this. You're relying on social media as a credible source for anything. Doesn't matter if it's Twitter, Instagram, whatever the hell it is. The problem is not them. It's not the platform. It's not the owners, the stockholders. It's you. Social media was meant for screwing around. I've said it time and time again. Now Elon Musk has bought Twitter and he's doing all these things. And people must think they're the owners of it and tell him how to run his show. Here was a guy who was a hero not too long ago, going into space and doing all this shit with electrical cars and, you know, the man of the future, blah, 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 blah. Now he's the enemy of the world. And that's just based on two or three people that seem to have issue with whatever the hell you want to call information. Listen and listen closely. Elon Musk is doing you a favor because if you read some bullshit on his platform or anybody else's, you're supposed to research it and make sure it was fairly accurate. When it was put out, close to it, no editorials, no nonsense like that, no opinions. Make up your own mind. The court of public opinion, all the geniuses who try to force how everyone else should think is wrong on this one. Whatever you hear, whatever you read, whatever anybody tells you, you're supposed to corroborate it. Then you're supposed to use a very important skill that we should all have, critical thinking and come up with your own thoughts on it how's that for revolutionary let's throw this out at you the irony of elton john saying he's not going to use twitter no more take a quick guess on how he put that out through twitter (laughs) and it was put out on a photograph with an entire statement not limited to whatever the characters that you're able to write on twitter he wanted to make sure his message went out Him or his people or whoever came up with his genius idea. Come on, get the hell out of here with that bullshit. Let's go to good times. New tours for 2023 have been announced. Yes, they're out. It's already uh, the end of 2022. And the artists that we love and some that we dislike. Actually, there's a lot that we dislike. But anyway, nonetheless, Metallica has announced their massive tour. So the show lasts two days that's gonna be pretty awesome the closest they're coming here to the wichita kansas area is dallas and st louis so uh, i'm gonna have to speak with my uh podcast partner whenever he comes back to see what we'll do with this also tenacious d 
think Tenacious D is going to be headed out to Kansas City. There's some other ones that have announced. Just go on to the uh, rock and roll websites, Ultimate Classic Rock, Loudwire, etc., etc., and check out uh, who's going to be coming close to your town in 2023. Uh. I had to throw that in there. Episode number four of season number four is over. Adam, wherever you are, my friend, come back as soon as you can. This mess is not the same without you, buddy. And if, uh, if I do have another podcast, well, that's cool. If I don't, well, Merry Christmas, all that good stuff. Hope you enjoy with the family, etc., yada, and the rest. And as always, we want to thank our legion of listeners, our fans, and whoever else subjects themselves to this podcast. We really appreciate it. Keep in mind that life is not that serious, nor anything else. We have said on this podcast, question everything and don't believe anyone, to include me and Adam when we do this podcast. Again, search with the keywords of the Tommy and Adam Hard to name podcast. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, RSS Podcast, and everywhere else. This podcast is on demand and streaming. Activate the notification icon to be notified when we are online. And write us a comment or share it with a friend, but mostly with enemies. I am Tommy Martinez in for both my friend, my compadre, my brother, Adam Tate. And today is December the 10th of 2022. And you are listening to the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. Remember to always play it often. Play it loud, but play it. Yeah. The Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast is produced by Dada Cola Promotions. Yeah! Richard DeCantis. Dada Cola! <laughs>